uh, two different views that we see. Uh, the first view, we called it what? Okay, the traditional or the religious view. And they basically say, what about emotions? If you have emotions, what do you do with them? Suppress them. Okay? Ignore them. Get rid of them somehow. Why? Because they believe that emotions itself is what? It's bad. It's negative. So we say things like, hey, good guys or mature guys, you don't cry. Or big boys don't cry. Or good girls don't get angry. We say these kind of things. Why? Because again, this is how we've been taught. We've been taught, hey, emotions are bad. So get rid of them. Avoid them at all costs. And we say that uh, even at church, we kind of encourage this kind of thought. Do you have doubt? Do you have guilt? Do you have sorrow? Do you have sadness in your heart? You're not a good Christian. You're a baby Christian. You're not praying enough. We say these kind of things. We hear that. And so we automatically think, oh, these emotions must be bad. So I must get, just get rid of them. Okay, so we said, no, 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 that's not good. Uh, we have another way of society telling us, what do we call this? We call this the modern view or the secular view, which is what? Don't suppress your feelings, but what? Vent it out. Okay, vent. Okay, release them. Blow them out. Okay, they say the problem you have emotionally, psychologically, in your life, according to the modern view, is you're suppressing too much of your feelings. So instead, let go. You feel angry? Go tell them off. Okay? You don't love your wife anymore? Divorce them. Why? Because that's what your feeling tells you. If you continue to stay with somebody that you don't like, you're being a phony. Why? Because the secular view says emotion is who you are, essentially. That becomes your identity, your core. If you're sad, you're a sad person. Okay? So we said, there's a better way to actually deal with emotions. Okay? Rather than just venting it out, rather than just suppressing them, there's a third way. And we said, we've been studying the book of Psalms to learn what is another way. Well, the third way is... Praying your emotions. Not praying about your emotions, but praying your emotions. What does that mean, praying your emotions? Praying your emotions is to lay down your emotions, to bring your emotions to God, talk about the emotions, but also, and this is the part that's really important, which is to process them in the presence of God. Okay, so I know some of you guys, Christians, you come to God and you say, God, I'm really sad, I'm really angry. I really feel a lot of guilt. Some of you guys do that, but you just leave after that. Okay, what Psalm is actually teaching us is express your emotions absolutely to God, but also process them in the sight of God. Okay? So we went over guilt. We went over doubt. We went over fear and anxiety. Today, we will be going over tears and sorrow. Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, I'm going to read uh, today from Psalms 126. It's actually uh, quite a short, short uh, psalm because some of these psalms can be quite long. But I'm going to be reading from Psalms 126. So if you guys can turn with me, Psalms 126. It's only six verses, actually. I will read. 
When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. This is the word of God. Now, uh, if you actually listen really carefully to that psalm, uh, you're going to see that you're going to be like, uh, Pastor, I thought we were talking about sorrow and sadness, but this, it's like a praise psalm. It's like, yeah, everybody's happy, everything's going on, good. Well, we're going to actually talk about that a little bit later, okay? We'll come to that. All right, a couple of things. Uh, there's three things that we need to actually uh, talk about, okay? Number one, expect tears. Number two, what is the Christian myth, myth when it comes to tears? And then number three, how do we actually invest our tears, okay? Number one, expect tears. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that is there is this Christian myth that a lot of Christians believe, and actually a lot of non-Christians also believe it because a lot of Christians actually say these kind of things. But there's the myth. This is the myth, okay? The myth is, okay, if you're a little good boy or a little good girl, okay, kind of like Santa, okay, that nothing really bad is going to happen to you. Okay, one more time. The myth is, we believe as Christians, we go, as long as I behave morally, as long as I don't do anything like super duper bad, as long as I'm a good boy or a good girl, as long as I come to church, as long as I pray, things are going to be okay. Like, yeah, I'm going to be disappointed and these kind of things, but nothing really, really huge, nothing really, really bad is going to happen to me. Okay, we're going to talk about why that's actually a myth. Some of you guys believe that. Okay, why is that a myth? Number one, okay, it's not biblical. Okay, that's the simple answer. Where do you find that? Book of Psalms, as you guys know, there's like about 150 of them. If you divide them into categories, okay, the largest category within Psalms, do you guys know what it is? It's called lamentation. Do you guys know what lamentation means? It means crying. It means sorrow. Okay, so if you look at just the Psalms alone, more than half the Psalms, they're about crying, they're about weeping, they're about disappointments, they're about sadness. I mean, we can say, I, we don't know some of these people. Oh, we know David. Right? Last week we talked about Asaf, but there's a lot of different authors. But what do we know about them? At least what we know is they were at least spiritually more mature than we were, right? They were, I mean, they had, they had a better, because they actually made it to the Bible, right? But how is it that these spiritually mature people, they're crying and they're weeping all the time? Okay, let me tell you two more reasons why you need to actually expect tears, especially if you become a Christian. Okay, number one, it's not biblical. Number two, there's actually an argument that could be said that you will actually cry more if you actually become a Christian. What do I mean by that? Uh, there's a lot of different like phrases for conversion, like changing your mind, your heart being changed. And one of the one of the expressions that the Bible uses, I'm going to give you an example of this, is from Ezekiel chapter 30, uh, 36. 
And this is what God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Okay? I mean, there's a lot of different meanings to this, but at least what we can take away, at least relating to us, is before your heart is hardened. Right? When, when people do things to you, it doesn't really matter. You're not really sensitive. You don't really care. But what happens? It actually says, when God transforms your heart, when you actually become a Christian, that God actually changes your heart. So you become softer, you become more tender, you become a lot more sensitive to pain and suffering in the world. Some of you guys actually understand this. Some of you guys who have been Christian for a longer time or getting closer to God, you understand this. You go, man, so there, there were certain things that didn't really bother me that much. Like, you know, like videos about refugee, I, I don't care. Right? But now you look at videos like that, you look at other videos, you see suffering, you see, you watch the news and you see all these tragedies happening and you go, dude, that really breaks my heart. Why? It's because God is softening your heart. You become more sensitive to pain and suffering. You see other people crying, and you cry too. Why? Because there's empathy. Okay? So actually, Christians, you should expect to cry a little more than the regular individual. Why? Because God is transforming your heart. Hmm? Think about that. And last one, and this is probably the best example of this, okay? You guys know that, I mean, again, we have this idea like, you know, as long as we're good, as long as we're perfect, like no bad thing will happen. Actually, you know, a couple, couple centuries ago, there was this perfect, perfect heart. Perfect, perfect heart. And all he did was cry. All he did was suffer. He was a perfect heart. He did nothing wrong. But he cried. He, he actually had a nickname, Man of Sorrow. Why? Because he, he was crying all the time. He was suffering. You see, and this is the illogic here. Now think about, just think about this. this is, just think about this, and everything will, you know, you'll understand why this is a myth, okay? The people, we as Christians, if you are a Christian, we as Christians, we say, we follow a man, okay? All he did here on earth, Jesus, I'm talking about Jesus, he cried. He suffered. A lot of bad things happened to him. So do you see the illogic of saying like, oh, I believe that I'm going to follow a man who's crying, who's suffering, but I expect nothing, like no suffering and no pain and no tear. Like, do you see the illogic between that? Like if you, your master is crying and you're following him, most likely you're going to be crying too. So this logic that, you know, as long, this myth that as long as I'm perfect, as long as everything's fine, as long as I come to church, things are going to be okay. No suffering, no pain. No. doesn't say that. Now, why am I talking about this? This is really important. Because there's times in our lives when we go through pain and suffering, but we suffer like twice as much, or we are suffering about two things. Okay, or we are crying about two things. Number one, we're crying because like something bad happened to us or we made a mistake or something like that. That you should be crying about. But there's also another part of you where you go, you are crying about you crying. Right? You're saying, maybe I made a mistake. 
Maybe I'm just the imperfect, or maybe God has abandoned me. You see, you don't expect tears, and because of that, every time you cry, everything, every time something bad happens to you, you cry even more. You get bitter towards God at people. Why? Because you're not expecting it. Do you see? One thing is enough. This already is hard enough. But when you are crying about two different things, when you're crying about you crying, then you can't handle that. You drown in that. Okay, you can't take that emotionally. Out of that, we're, we're going to talk about this idea of like tears turning into joy. You're never going to come out of that. You're going to come out more insensitive. You're going to come out more narrow-minded. You're going to come out way more bitter. So Christians, if you are a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, aren't you lucky? You don't have to cry as much. But Christians, expect tears. Okay? Don't think this world is going to be easy. It's not. But instead, there is still hope. There is something better. Okay? So let's go into that. Okay? Because this is really cool. There's one thing uh, that it talks about, and this is the really cool part. Those who sow with, with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Now, one negative, one, one thing you have to be really careful before we even go here is it doesn't say, okay, that all of a sudden you just sit down and all of a sudden, okay, that these seeds will become joy, right? It doesn't say that. It says you have to actually go and you have to what? Sow them. This is very, very important because there's a lot of churches, a lot of Christians that just say, you know what? Pain is going to automatically, you know, the, you know, God has plan for, planned for this. So, you know what? Your pain and your sorrow will automatically just turn into goodness, right? Without any intention, everything bad is going to be turning out for good. No, 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 no. This is not what... He's saying here, right? He's actually saying, no, no, no. You have to actually do something. You actually have to take the tears and you actually have to sow them. Now, this is very important. We talked about it in the beginning. There's two different ways. So there's people who are going through pain and sorrow. And what do they do? They just sit down on the seed. Again, if you don't throw out the seed or if you don't plant the seed, nothing's going to happen with your seed. Okay. So if some of you guys, when you are sad, when you're going through a difficult time, all you do is just ignore it. All you do is just repress, okay, or suppress your emotions. Trust me, nothing's going to happen, okay? If anything, a lot of negative things are going to happen, okay? So don't just sit down. But on the other hand, don't just imagine a farmer just like randomly just throwing out seeds in random places. Okay, just throwing it here, just throwing it there. They're not like planting it in good soil. What happens to those seeds? Nothing. So again, we want to avoid this extreme as well where we just go to everybody. We just vent, 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 vent our feelings. Okay, because again, that's not going to produce anything. Instead, what is it teaching us to do? It's saying, you see good soil, plant it. Okay, plant it in there. Sow your seeds. Why? Because if you do it correctly, if you do it in the good soil, which is God, there's actually hope. Okay, there's actually more than hope. There's actually joy. Do you guys know, um, some of you guys who watch anime uh, maybe might know, but there used to be an anime called The Alchemist. Do you guys know anybody? Uh, some of you guys? Okay. 
So basically, oh, yeah, just, yeah, me and Justin, we used to watch anime all the time in college. So there used to be a, a show called Al Alchemist, but basically in the medieval age, these alchemists, basically they thought, hey, let's just do some science. We love gold. Gold has a lot of worth. What if we can actually magically turn lead into gold? And so these alchemists, okay, this chemist basically, they were trying so hard to basically turn lead into gold. Okay, this is what it's talking about here. Do you want your tears to turn into gold? Do you want your tears to actually turn into joy? Again, you got to pray. You got to process your emotions in front of God. Okay, so you guys are saying, okay, okay, kidding, go on, go on. How do we actually do this? Let's get to it, okay? There's three different ways. Obviously, there's more than that, but I'm just going to give you three examples of how we can actually make our tears into gold, okay? How we can actually uh, sow our tears and actually have joy come out of it. All right, number one, you have to remember who you are praying to. That was number one, right? We have to understand, okay, there's a lot of times we actually, if you are a Christian, we actually take this for granted quite a bit. But do you know that only within Christianity, well, I wouldn't say the only, but Christianity is very, very unique in the sense that God is a personal God. Now, you've heard that many times, you know, God hears your prayers. But, you know, we, we heard that, most of us probably growing up in the Christian church. But do you know that you're not going to hear that anywhere else? Okay? Do you know that if you are in one of the Eastern religions, like pantheistic religions like Buddhism or Hinduism, you know what they're going to say to you in your face? They're going to say, crying. Do you know why you're crying? Okay, there's no God who's going to listen to your tears or cries or sorrow. Do you know why these things happen to you? Karma. Okay? The reason why you're suffering, the reason why you're going through all this stuff, you're blaming people, but you need to really blame yourself. This is all your fault. You see, you're ultimately in control. Why? Because pantheism believes you're essentially God. You yourself is God. So, did you have bad things happen in your life? Things didn't go as planned? Bad thing happened to you? You have sorrow, you have sadness? Your fault. You deal with it. You see, this is so different. We hearing that, we're like, whoa, that's different. But you see, if Hindus or Buddhists were in here, they would say, bring them to God. Well, no, that, that's, that's your responsibility. You got to deal with it. I'll give you an example of how Christianity actually can deal with your tears and pain. There's two psalms, okay, specifically two psalms, because a lot of these psalms, they end up like crying, 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 but like kind of like this psalm, like, yay, everybody's happy, happy, happy. But there's actually two psalms. Okay, I'm just going to give you an example of one of them. But there's two psalms where it's just like sad, 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 sad. And then they just end. Okay, I'll give you an example of one of these. Uh, psalms 39. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, and as the ancestors, as my ancestors were. Look away from me, that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. 
Now, if you actually looked at this carefully, because you were, oh, yeah, yeah, like, you know, like, I might enjoy life again. Oh, good. It ends well. No, what is he saying? He's actually saying, like, my life is really hard. I feel like you're treating me like an immigrant. And last part, he says, so look away from me. So I can just die in peace. Basically, what is he saying? He's so sad. He's so depressed. He just says, God, I don't want you in my life. Turn away from me. Kind of like what Elijah said. Today we're talking about that in Sabbath school. I'm so depressed. I feel so alone. Just let me die. That's it. The end. Now again, if this doesn't bother you, it should. Because again, it's like, homie, come on. You, I mean, you're, you're not supposed to do that in your prayers. Like you're, you're not supposed to just say like just a bunch of negative things and just say, I'm going to die by God. Like, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to, you know, pray about it and have joy come out of it. You know, right? Again, that's, that was my thought as I'm reading this. But again, what does this tell us? This actually tells us, even amidst wrong theology here, even, even though this person is not doing the right thing, he's not investing his hearers, it's actually still in the Bible. What does that tell us? That tells us, that even when we're desperate and we say stupid things to God, He still hears. This is what one of a commentary, he said. The very presence, presence of these prayers, meaning like these kind of psalms, or even when like Peter, when he saw a miracle, he said, depart from me, Jesus. Again, you're, you're not supposed to say that. When you see a miracle, you're supposed to say, come to me, God. The very presence of such stupid prayers or the emotional prayers is the scriptures, scripture, is the scripture, in the scripture, sorry, in the scripture is a witness to God's understanding. He knows how we speak when we are desperate. So this should give us a lot of comfort, right? Even there's times when we're emotional, when we're going through tears and pain. And even anger. And we say like nasty things. And, and sometimes you feel bad because you're like, oh, why did I say that? Or I'm such a bad Christian for saying that. I'm such a bad person. But again, even within all of that, God actually understands. God goes, yeah, I understand you're being desperate. I understand what your heart is really longing for. See, in that sense, there's comfort. There's safety, knowing that God can handle your pain and suffering. Okay, that gives a lot of reassurance. In Hebrews, it talks about how he's the greatest counselor. I'm going to uh, paraphrase. Because he actually knows all of our weakness. He actually went through the same things that we did. Okay, There's a lot of comfort in that. Knowing that somebody, okay, number one, that can actually handle your emotions won't judge you and say, stupid, you're not supposed to say that. But actually understands you and actually also knows exactly the same things that you are going through as well. Okay, that brings, again, tremendous already some kind of peace, knowing that somebody understands your pain. Okay, that's number one. But we don't want to stop there. We want to continue. Part two is, if you want to invest your tears, part two, what do we do? We have to know, what did I actually write on the note? Um, I think, what did I put? What did I put, Nicole? Huh? 
Oh, invest them with assurance. Now, this is very important. If you actually look at this, um, this is uh, our main text that we're looking at. It's very, very interesting. Because if you first just read it on, you feel like, oh, this is a psalm of joy. Everything's happy. Everything's fine. Look. Okay? Lord has done great things for them. Lord has done great things for us. We're filled with joy. But if you actually look at verse 4, this is where it's really, really interesting. Verse 4, he actually says, restore our fortunes, Lord. Wait, hold on. In verse 1 and 3, you said everything about like how God has restored you. Everything's fine. Everything's okay. We don't know exactly what the author is talking about. But again, if we just said 1 through 3, look, he did restore your fortunes. But you come to verse 4, all of a sudden he says, restore our fortunes. Okay, what is, okay. So commentar- a lot of co- different commentators, they basically believe actually the current person who's actually uh, writing this, he's actually going through difficult times. Okay? He's actually saying, I feel like I'm in the Negev. And Negev is kind of like a wilderness. Okay? There's no water. I feel so dry. I feel so empty. I feel sad. But how is it that he's actually, if you look at verse three to three, uh, uh, 1 through 3, he's actually talking in present tense. Why? It's because the promise that he's holding on to is so strong for him that he's speaking as if, even though he's in difficult time, that God is restoring. Okay? So either, we're not exactly sure, either he's looking at the past things that God has done in his life, and that gives him assurance, even though his life right now is not good, or he's holding on to the promise in the future that he's going to restore Jerusalem, if it was Jerusalem or something else, and he's holding on to that promise so much so that it looks like it's the present. And this is something that we have to learn to do in the time of tears and in the time of sorrow, that there's things that God has done in our lives in the past, or there's good things that God has promised us, we need to continue to hold on to that. So true to that, that we have assurance that things are going to get better. Now, let me give you an example of this. This is what Eugene Peterson, he's the one that who, uh, if you guys know the Message Bible, he's the author of that. This is what he says. He's talking about different Psalms, and he says this. Any prayer, no matter how desperate its origin, no matter how angry and fearful the experience it traverses, ends up in praise. Okay, what is he saying? He's saying, no matter what our circumstances are, okay, Christianity, we have the ultimate hope. Why? Because that we know, we know that we, even though we live in a very difficult world, that this is going to end well. Okay, this is not this like, like idealistic, like la, 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 everything's fine. No. Like we know that this is going to end well. And we need to hold on to that. Okay, even though life is hard, we need to hold on to that. Because it will always end up in praise. Now, he's very realistic. It does not always get there quickly or easily. But the end is always praise. Okay? It always, always will end well. With Jesus, it ends well. Okay? Is it difficult? 
Absolutely. Is it frightening? Absolutely. But it always ends well. Nothing else. Your career, your appearance, your money, your spouse. If that's your ultimate thing, it's not going to end well. But you place God as your ultimate thing in your life, it will end well. This is not to say that other prayers are inferior to praise. Only that all prayer pursued far enough. And I love this line. Because it's not just saying, again, that you just sit on your, sit on your seat or just throw your seats anywhere. No. But if you actually pursued your prayer, if you stayed long enough, if you actually process these things with God far enough, it will become praise. Okay? Doesn't that give you so much assurance? There's sometimes... Um, we go through, I, I think there is like innate fear within us times where like we feel like we can't explore our emotions sometimes, right? Uh, maybe because, you know, because of like society or family, but I think there is some innate like fear within us. We feel like, what if I start crying? What if I start exploring some of these emotional things? And what if I, I, I just keep crying? Like, what if this just repeats over and over and over again and there is no end? Right? There, there is this, like, fear within us. But again, this is great assurance, knowing that with Jesus, okay, if you explore it long enough, again, it's not going to be quickly, it's not going to be easily, and that, that's hard for us as modern people. But if you pursue it long enough, okay, there is praise at the end. And so you got to hold on to that. For me, there's times, just get to give you like a personal perspective, you know, there's like so many different times where, like especially this year, I don't know why this year has been particularly more difficult for me, but, and actually one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about the emotions is because I felt like this year has been like a year full of different emotions. Um, but I wanted to, you know, I, there's periods of time as I'm pastoring, I just go, I don't even know why I'm doing this. Like, I, I can't, I don't think I could do this anymore. Okay? I think this year, out of the two and a half or a little bit longer uh, time I've been here, I, I probably thought about quitting more this year than any other year. Okay? But for me, it's always, I have to hold on to this. You say, why am I, like, why am I going through some of these things? Like, it's not like I get paid a lot. Right? Like, why, why do I do this? There, there's times of like that, right? But what always gets me, okay, to stay, what always pushes me forward, what always keeps me going, is knowing that what I'm doing actually matters. Okay? Even though it doesn't seem like it right now, there's actually hope. There's actually assurance that what I'm doing actually matters. So there's difficulties at church. But I continue to remind myself, okay, what we're doing here, it matters. We can't just let it sink. Why? Because if we actually turn to God, if we actually are one-hearted and we actually have a mission, man, there's great things that we can do. So I have to continue to remind myself of that, right? So again, it's this assurance 
knowing that it's going to turn out well, that's going to keep you going. Okay, so same thing with our tears, our sorrows as well. To hold on to hope. Okay, last part. Last part is you have to invest in your tears in the view uh, of the cross. Like I talked about, this is like the ultimate thing, okay? So first, you have to understand, you have to sow, okay? You have to, you're, you have to be comfortable enough to sow, to trust, but to, also to know that there's assurance, but ultimately, you have to get to the foot of the cross, okay? You have to see Jesus actually dying on the cross, him actually crying out, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Okay, you need to really, really hear that. The reason is because this is where real gold comes out. Okay, if you actually get to this point, this is, this is where treasure is. This is where your tear actually produces. Okay, it's going to produce joy. Okay. What usually happens in time of tears and sorrow, there's two things that actually naturally just come out. Okay, and some of you guys uh, can understand this. The first thing that usually happens is guilt. I'm a bad person, so therefore I deserve this, you might say. I made a mistake, so therefore, I deserve this, you might say. Okay? Or, I haven't been a good Christian. I haven't really been faithful. Therefore, God has abandoned me, or God is punishing me. Okay? Are there some truth to that? Yeah, there's mistakes that we make. There's times we're unfaithful. But you, this is when you actually have to look at the cross. Because the first part might be true. Maybe it is your mistake. Maybe you haven't been faithful. But the second part, that God has abandoned you, that you are forsaken, that's not true. Why? Because when you look at the cross, you no longer can say that. Okay, why? Because we see that Jesus is actually being abandoned. Okay? Because if, if Jesus is abandoning you, why was he abandoned? No, he's being abandoned so that we don't have to feel abandoned. He's dying for us. He's suffering for us so that we don't have to suffer. Do you see? Do you see the great reversal? The more you understand that concept, the more when you see your tears and sorrow, that's going to produce joy. Because the more you explore your tears and the more you see Jesus hanging on the cross, then there's actually joy because you realize your joy is not your identity anymore. It's actually Jesus. You don't have to go through guilt and say, I deserve this. Why? Because even though you did deserve it, Jesus is dying for you. Even though you go, yeah, I should be abandoned by God, Jesus is being abandoned. So I don't have to go through the guilt anymore, the fear anymore, the anxiety anymore, the tears anymore. You see, your tear actually becomes joy. There's joy knowing that, even though circumstances might still be bad, there's joy knowing that you're not really abandoned. You're not really forsaken. The guilt that you do have, the shame that you do have, you can let it go. The second part, either you become extremely guilty, or some of you guys, when you're going through a difficult time or tears or sorrow, uh, you become very self-pitying. So you say things like, I don't deserve this. Right? What did I do to deserve it? 
Why is everybody attacking me? Why is everybody doing these things to me? What usually happens if you just keep going down that road is, again, you become very narrow-minded. You could become arrogant, right? You become oversensitive. Everyone's attacking me. But again, you bring that in front of Jesus. Why is he dying on the cross? Why is everybody mocking him? Why is everybody cursing him? Why is, why is he a victim? You see, no longer do you come in front of God and go, why is everybody attacking me? Why is everybody hating me? Because we see Jesus actually taking, he's the ultimate victim. If anybody should be pitying, it's actually him. He should be the one full of self-pity, but instead he chooses to go on the cross to die for us so that we don't have to go through the pain and suffering anymore. So you see, coming in front of Jesus with our tears and sorrows, it actually transforms us. It doesn't, again, these feelings itself bring him to Jesus, but it doesn't just end there. It transforms. We have perspective. We go, oh, there is hope. There is assurance. It's not just about me. It's not just about my suffering. There's something deeper. It actually turns into gold. What are some of your sorrows? What are some of your tears? What are some of your disappointments? What are some of your bitterness that you're holding on to? We're going to go into time of affliction. It's about only about two minutes. But I encourage you, even though it's a short time, to not just bring it to Jesus, absolutely that's important, but to also process them, to also see the cross. And I encourage you, if you are going through, you feel like you're drowning right now in your sorrow or tears, to just spend five minutes a day to look at the cross and to see your tears actually transforming into gold.